How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of Titus, and we're up to chapter 3. Alrighty, so please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, demonstration, the what, the how, the why of Scripture, what it's specifically saying, the narrative of the text. And we back up, go again through it slowly, taking a look at how it's being said, the specific words and the pictures and the images and the details and all of these things. And how also can I pair with what I'm reading with the rest of the Word of God? to rightly divide it, pair scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. All for the purpose of uh, demonstration, the why, why is this important? Go living it, speaking it, thinking it, doing it. So we're going to be doing that today with Titus chapter 3, so please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, whatever it is you're having. Time to study the word of God. All right. <clears throat> so it's extremely important to make sure that we understand not just how to read the word of god but how to study it how to study it we need to learn how to study scripture and in this it it's more than just understanding the narrative just what it says we need to know why it's being said like this how it's being said understanding the meanings of these things because there's a lot of people out there who are familiar with the story familiar with the narrative and you talked about it, like oh i know about that i know about that doctrine i know about that story i know about the, what the bible says about that Okay, you may know about it, but do you really know it? Do you understand? There's a difference between uh, between understanding the words on the pages and having the comprehension of what it's actually talking about in a deeper context. And we've gone over this in many different ways in explaining it, but uh, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, Please, by all means, go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. Please feel free to chime in. Uh, if it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing as much as possible. And uh, talking, about, uh, talking about this in uh, knowing uh, how to read it and how to study it, understanding the difference between familiarity and actual deep comprehension we come to titus chapter 3 and verse 1 and a lot of people will read this verse and not quite grasp the deeper context of this that yes the bible says that we are to obey the laws of the land and all this kind of thing as you see in titus 3 verse 1 put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work that yes we are to obey those that have the rule over us and many people say amen that's right tis true except to that 
understanding scripture does not say that bear with me it, it doesn't mean that regardless of the ruler and regardless of what they say regardless what they're doing you have to always obey and bow and and uh, listen to them now there is a limit there is a line and this is something that must be understood that the bible does not tell us that we have to obey every law and rule that ever comes our way and you say well what do you mean how could you say that well, for example let's go back let's go all the way back old testament back let's go back to hosea and some of you may have to sing the bible book song you know they go through the books of you know, daniel hosea okay so go to da uh, go to daniel then hosea and we see in hosea chapter 8 I want you to look at something here. Because there are some people out there who say that, well, well, God appoints all rulers. No, he doesn't. God appoints all the all the presidents and prime ministers and the rulers and the kings. They're all ordained and set by God. No, they're not. No, they're not. The Bible says so. Let's take a look at Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Now, this is God talking. God talking about Israel. That Israel has set up kings and rulers and princes without God's blessing, without God's direction. They've gone their own way, done their own thing, set up their own rulers. For example... Uh, King Saul. If you actually do a study in the Bible on this, you'll see that King Saul is what was called the people's choice. That that God warned them through the mouth of the prophet Samuel that uh, of all the kinds of things that Saul would do and how horrible it'd be, and that uh, that they shouldn't go with him, but they insisted, and the people set up Saul as their king. David was God's choice. God did not set up Saul. God did not set up Saul. The people did. And as you see in Hosea chapter 8, verse 4, they have set up kings, but not by me. Right there, we see God does not ordain and appoint every ruler. Now, what's one way to also tell if certain rulers are set up by God or not? For that, we want to go to Romans. We go over to Romans. And we want chapter 13. Now, if we take a look at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And people are like, see, see. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained are God. You see, they're all ordained of God. Wait a minute. Hold up. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works. Now these are rulers that are ordained of God. Rulers that are ordained of God. 
are not a terror to good works. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. So those, therefore, that are not ordained of God are a terror to good works. See that? And we can think of a few different names of a few different people, different examples that could fall under that. Uh, certain presidents, prime ministers, rulers, kings, emperors, or whatever, that are a terror to good works. And, well, this is God's context. So what are good works according to God's context? So we see then, God is not responsible for setting up every ruler. That uh, the preachers and individuals that say that are wrong. They are greatly wrong. And they are teaching people to submit themselves to wicked, ungodly, unblessed rulers. Individuals that are terrors to good works. So the question arises, do we have to listen to them? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. For that, we go back to Acts. Go back to the book of Acts and we want chapter 5. Now, as you know, that this is where the apostles are hauled up before the Sanhedrin. And they are being interrogated and beaten and all the rest of this. And the Sanhedrin have a bit of a command for them. Actually, we should go back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And starting at verse 13, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, we've talked about boldness in the Lord, the boldness of God. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the men healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So the proof of Christ in them. Then we go down to verse 18. And they called them, the, the apostles, the disciples up before them, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, you understand this is the Sanhedrin. These are the rulers. The rulers, they make the laws. They are the rulers of Israel. And even more so, the religious rulers. They're the rulers of the land. And they made a ruling, they made a law here, you're not allowed to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. You know, you may remember a couple of years ago where our governments literally did the same thing. Uh, where they told the pastors and preachers and evangelists to shut up. And they're not allowed to speak out loud, not allowed to preach or evangelize, proselytize. You're not allowed to sing hymns out loud, and I can't even go to church, can't worship God publicly, and all this. And they chained up the churches. No, they did. They did the same thing here. And there are many so-called professed Christians that bowed to that and obeyed that and listened to that because they were told that every ruler is ordained of God and that we have to obey every ruling of the land. But God says, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
Furthermore, go over to chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered. Actually, we should back up. Uh, let's back up to verse 20, uh, 26. Acts chapter 5, verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people as they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? Because they were not obeying the laws of the Lamb. The apostles were not obeying the laws of the Lamb. Because these rulers are a terror to good works, and therefore we don't have to listen to their rulings and laws and, or and ordinances and whatnot that contradict the word of God. So they preach in the name of Jesus anyways. Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Okay. We ought to obey God rather than men. And when you pair that with Hosea chapter 8 verse 4, they have set up kings, but not by me. They have ordained princes, and I knew it not. So not all rulers are ordained of God. The ones that are ordained of God are not a terror to good works. Okay, now let's just back up for a moment. Uh, how would you, if you could in the comments there, how would you go about explaining that? It says are not a terror to good works. What are the good works? Good works of what? What, just being good? Being nice? Charitable or whatever else? Well, according to the context of the word of God, what are good works? So it says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. And they are, and those ordained of God are not a terror to good works. So the good works then, well, we go to John chapter 6. And we see Jesus is asked, good, uh, good master, what, uh, they, they say, uh, what shall we do that they might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. So, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in Christ's likeness, because to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that everything that you do, even eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God, and to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, be ready always to give an answer to them that come and ask you, the hope within you, the meekness of fear, and on and on and on. That, uh, that everything that we do is to his honor and glory, that uh, before God, what is considered good is when we work, speak, walk, live, to his honor and glory, to the glory of God, to the honor of God, and everything that we do. That those that are the rulers that are ordained of God are not a terror to Christ's likeness, are not a terror to godliness, are not a terror to the, the works of Christ. That's what that means. So, to put them in mind, to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So, like the apostles here, they were ready to give answer 
to the Sanhedrin when they were arrested and hauled up for their Christ-likeness, and in their obedience to the Lord, in even submitting themselves to punishment, submitting themselves to discipline and persecution, all this stuff, in the name of Jesus Christ, because they refused to disobey the Lord, they refused to compromise, God saw that as a good work. See that? Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So, with this, we got to keep in mind that uh, when the Bible talks about obeying the laws of the land, to obey magistrates, obey governors and rulers, all this stuff, you have to understand context. You have to understand context of which ones is God telling us to obey. Because, for example... Does that mean that if we got a ruler that was like Ahab and Jezebel, that we are commanded then we have to obey Ahab and Jezebel? That we must submit to Ahab and Jezebel? Is that, is that what God is saying here? No. And in fact, that's not what happened. In fact, that the prophets of God, the disciples of God, left and refused to submit in fact they fought back they pushed back they opposed them with the word of god with the powers of god and that's exactly what the apostles did they refused refused to bend the knee to the sanhedrin because we ought to obey god rather than men so the mindfulness then that we see in titus chapter 3 verse 1 put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good word, and to be mindful of what is being said. Now, does that mean that if a ruler that is that is godless takes office, that 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 uh, anything he says we don't have to obey? No. It's just to be mindful of what is being said, and that it, any rules any regulations any laws that do come down that contradict the word of god that's where we ought to obey god rather than men if their ruling their law their bylaw whatever does not in and of itself contradict the word of god okay we should submit to that but if it contradicts the word of god if it contradicts the lord if it contradicts christ likeness and godliness we do not submit to that that's what that means. That's what that means. And if that then means that uh, I, I'm an outlaw, if that then means that uh, I'm in trouble with the law, so be it. Oh well, so persecuted they the prophets. So to be mindful of the of the of the authorities over us and all these things, be mindful of who we are, who we represent, and that we will not compromise. We will not compromise. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you threaten. I don't care how deep your your prison is. I don't care what sentence you may hand down. I don't care. We ought to obey God rather than men. And we must. We must hold that line. That's where that's the line that we do not cross. If it contradicts the word of God, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Amen. Now, the next point, 
the next point is a bit more difficult because everyone loves to hear that everyone loves to hear that uh that uh that we don't have to obey all the laws of the land in this in this regard as we're talking about and that we must stand up and you know the idea of the martyr uh, the martyr aspect the the idea of the zealot the idea of this of standing up like elijah and all this and and people love this picture they love this image But what we fast forget, what we fast forget is the next command of verse 2. Let's take a look. Speak evil of no man. Speak evil of no man. Now, this one can bring a lot of contention. Now, we stand up for the Lord. We stand for the word of God. We stand for righteousness. It's going to get us in a lot of trouble. Especially when we draw a hard line. A dogmatic line that we refuse to cross. We refuse to compromise. And watch your friends disappear. Watch your co-workers turn against you, that your neighbors hate you, all the rest of this. And you watch the government start to oppress you. It's going to happen. And for some people, they may get bitter, angry, depressed, whatever else, fill in the blank. And it's so easy to get mad at those that oppose us and to curse them, call them names, to be divisive and and derogatory and all the rest of this against them the lord says no don't do that jesus didn't do that and when the disciples started to do that jesus rebuked them now we got to be careful about our words we got to be careful about how we respond and this brings up a point i want to make on what the bible actually teaches about our language of how we're supposed to speak and how we're supposed to talk so we go to ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks ephesians 4 29 let no corrupt communication defiled unchristlike ungodly communication let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. For there's a reason why we say what we say, and how we say it is to draw all eyes to the Lord. We don't represent ourselves, we represent the Lord. Colossians 3, 8. But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. 2 Timothy 2.16 But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And James chapter 3, verse 10 Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So, what justification are you able to bring then that can validate you before God 
to speak derogatory about rulers. We love to call names. We love to deride. We, we all do this. We're all guilty of this. There isn't a single person that isn't guilty of this at some point. And this is what the Lord is trying to get us to remember is who we present, who we represent, who we stand for, what we're here for, and that we are not supposed to let our flesh speak. That anger is a good thing if it's righteous anger. If it's righteous anger. You see, righteous anger is tempered, is restrained, is controlled. Like you see Jesus clear, clearing out the temple for the purpose of of uh, purging sin. And then he immediately switches. But in so doing, he was even tempered with grace. For example, when he was driving out the... the uh, uh, the men out of the temple and flipping the tables and all this stuff, the money changers, notice he stopped when it comes to the cages of the birds, the doves. Unlike the shows and movies and all this stuff, he didn't rip the cages open, let the birds go. Rather, he stopped. He was tempered. There was grace. And Jesus turns and says, take these things hence. Because the bird's fragile and also, well, you can't get it back. Can't get them back. But as we see a mercy and a grace there. So we see it's anger tempered with grace. Anger tempered with mercy. See, we, we love to just get angry and let loose and just tell them what we think of them and all the rest of that. That's flesh talking. That's flesh talking. You see, the disciples, children of the Most High God, apostles of Jesus Christ, hauled up before the, before the Sanhedrin. And they were very gentle and graceful in their response. But yet, though gentle and graceful, they were dogmatic. They weren't yelling and screaming and cursing and spitting and all the rest of this. They stood there tempered by the Holy Ghost, dogmatic in all Christ-likeness, refusing to bend the knee, not glowering at them, but rather steadfast eyes. They beheld the Sanhedrin says, we're going to obey God rather than men. We command you not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they beat them and, and threw them in the, in the prison for a while, cursing them, hating them, beating them. And they never responded again. They just said, we're going to obey God rather than men. You see, there's a graceful dogmatism. A graceful dogmatism that must be understood. We're not rebels against the world. We're not rebels against the world. Anarchists against the, the governments. No, 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 no. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. Be careful of letting your political passions ruling your religious dogmatism. Be very careful about that. Speak evil of no man. Now look at the next one. Be no brawlers. We're not to come to blows. We're not to pick up arms. We, no, we don't fight for earthly constitutions. We fight for the constitution of heaven. We fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a... Well, not, 
they're going to say apostles we're not apostles we're disciples of jesus christ we're children of the most high god we have a job to do like the apostles is what i meant like the apostles we're here to strengthen the church we're here to bring the lost to christ we're here to spread the gospel of jesus christ this is what we're here for this is what we're here for but we see many what they do is they kind of push this to the back burner and they they zealous of the lord zealous of their faith take up arms they create the placards that they then go out and picket in the streets you know my rights my rights you have no rights you understand that as a child of god as a born-again christian you have no rights what know ye not ye are the temple of god which is in you and ye are not your own you've been bought with a price god owns you you don't own god god owns you you have no rights he tells you what you're supposed to do and not do you don't go and and decide how you should respond, how you should think, and, and say what you believe that you should say? You're a representative of the Most High God. Do you see Jesus out in the street picketing against the government? Do you see Jesus taking up arms against the government? you see Jesus out there screaming and yelling and spitting and cursing against the rulers that he hates? Do you see Jesus out there tearing stuff down and... And, and acting like a wild man against those who he opposes? What did Jesus say? When his disciples said, Master, should we call down hellfire upon them? And Jesus says, do you, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man came to save men's lives, not destroy them. We're supposed to represent Jesus Christ. And how can you represent Jesus Christ when you're cursing the opposition? How can you represent Jesus Christ when you're slandering and cursing and mocking and scoffing and ridiculing and fighting against other men? How does that show the love of Jesus Christ? Just something to think about. Just something to think about. Be no brawler. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, sock him in the nose. <laughs> No, turn the other cheek. They curse you, bless them. If they revile you, pray for them. They're your enemy, love them. If they steal from you, have them arrested and curse them out. Take them, take them to court and sue them and get them thrown in prison. No, if so, they steal from you, give them your cloak also. Kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it? Exactly. The grain of flesh. It goes against the grain of flesh. And then I'm telling you, folks, I'm saying these things. I can't tell you how many times that I have spoken this, these exact things. And I have had so-called identifying right-wing conservative fundamental Christians 
coming against me, speaking against me, hating me, telling me I don't know what I'm talking about, and, and ridiculing me for saying that we should behave in this manner of Christ-likeness and we shouldn't take up arms and fight back and, and curse and all the rest of this. They call me out and cursing me out because I say this, but uh, I, I didn't say it. Jesus did. Speak evil of no man. Be brawlers. Be not, uh, be not brawlers. We're not fighters of earthly things. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's by the power of God, not the power of man. It's by the hand of God, not my hand. I am not God's sword. I am not God's vengeance. I am not God's warrior. I'm just a bard of heaven. My, my job is to speak of him and his greatness and, the, and Christ's epics. I'm here to speak of the Lord and, and show people the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm here to cry from the mountaintops, from the rooftops, how to be born again saved. I'm here to represent Jesus Christ, show Jesus Christ to the people. And how can I do that when I'm getting mixed up with, with the corruption of the world and taking up earthly arms? Whether by speech or actual fighting. How can I represent Jesus Christ in that manner? Speak evil of no man. Be no brawler, but gentle. Supposed to be gentle. As Christ was gentle. As Christ was gentle. Did Jesus take up swords? Did Jesus, did Jesus react fleshly? No. Why should we? Did Jesus get, 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 get into brawling with the Pharisees? No. He spoke truth. He rebuked them biblically. He rebuked them in, in spirit and in truth. And he showed them the truth because he so wanted them to be saved. But we are more apt to curse out the opposition and wish that they would burn in hell. Where we, when we rebuke them, we have no desire to see them saved. Now, think just for a moment. Individuals that are the highest representatives of hell in our governments. You know what I'm talking about. Now, imagine them born again saved. That's how God sees them. That's how we're supposed to see them. Yes, they may be enemies of, of all righteousness. Yes, they may be a terror to good works. Yes, they are op, uh, uh, opponents against the word of God. Yes, they are the enemies of Christ. But so was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was worse. Saul of Tarsus was worse than any government official alive today. I want you to think about that one just for a moment. Saul of Tarsus was worse than any official alive today. He was a terror of terrors of good works. He was the enemy of heaven. 
blasphemer of Jesus Christ, destroyer of churches. He would arrest and chain Christians, haul them to Jerusalem, torture them, literally torture them to make them blaspheme Christ. And he would have, he would put his voice to them so that they would be put to death. And he loved it. He reveled, he rolled in the blood of the saints and breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the saints. Christ met him. If God can save Saul of Tarsus and turn him into the Apostle Paul, then I dare say he could save Hillary Clinton. He could save Biden. He could save Trudeau. He could save anyone. He can save anyone. God is not willing that any should perish, even if you wished they would. But God is able to use people that I don't agree with. Speak evil of no man, but rather see them as Christ does. Souls for whom Christ died. Be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Showing all meekness unto all men. As much as, li as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably. That Christ comes first. Uh, that we look at people the way Christ does first before we even look at them. We speak to them the way that Christ would speak to them. We help them the way that Christ would help them. Jesus sat with publicans and sinners. Okay, now just, just wrap your mind around that one just for a moment, folks. Remember, who is he? This is Almighty Sovereign Lord God who made hell. He made hell he made the lake of fire he is filled with wrath and indignation against all iniquity that the wrath of god the infinite wrath of god which is poured out upon sin indwells him and he sat with publicans and sinners and spoke to them gently and gracefully in such a way that they wanted to speak with him so he could show them the way of righteousness You say, oh, but what, I'm not Jesus. Praise the Lord, you're not. But, but if we take a look at who Jesus is, this is who we're supposed to be like. Watch our words. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of missing this mark. All because that, that's not an excuse to continue. Rather, we should seek to alter our outlook we should seek to be gentle not brawlers that we should instead of instead of making a fist holding out a hand of grace instead of speaking words of malice we should speak words of grace that we should react to people the way that christ would react because that is what honors the lord that is what pleases him why not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded god says meaning why not rather why not rather take the wrong well you have no idea what they did and so the lord says let it go let it go let it go he'll deal with it but, but Lord, Lord, would you smite them? You know not what spirit you are of. I have 
with my own ears, I have actually heard so-called professed Christians say that they wished that God would, would destroy these individuals and send them to hell. I have actually heard professed Christians actually speak horrific violence of horrific things, grotesque, horrific things against wicked people. These people have absolutely no idea what Christ's likeness is. They are bankrupt of grace. Do you not remember who you were? Do you not remember you were the enemy of God at one point? Do you not remember that you deserved the depths of hell like everyone else? Do you not remember you were an enemy of God, a child of the devil, an heir of hell? Do you not remember that the sword of the wrath of God was laying upon your neck? And that you, you were born again saved by sheer, sheer grace and mercy? Undeserved? Do you not remember where you came from? Showing meekness unto all men. Verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We were no different. We're no different. Now use your sanctified imagination. Now, now, now imagine the most evil, wicked sinner uh, on earth right now. You were no better. In the eyes of God, you are no different. In the eyes of God, you are deserving the exact same punishment. The same hell. That the same wrath of the same hell and the same flames you, you deserved. You're no better than them. You're a sinner saved by grace. What makes you think you're better? Well, you, you have no idea what they're doing. The horrible, evil, grotesque things they're doing to children and everything else. And the, all the, the debauchery and everything. You were no better in the eyes of God. You're not holier than them. In you is no goodness. No righteousness. It, took the, it takes the righteousness of Christ imputed upon you to make you acceptable before God. Because you have no, you are bankrupt. We have no goodness. All are fallen away. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. It's not even our sanctification. It's his, 1 Corinthians 1.30. We, we are despised of God for our sin. But yet he so loved us that by grace he saved us because you didn't deserve it. But he's not willing that any should perish, and he made a way out of sheer mercy. We are no, no better. We must remember who and what we were, and who and what we are. And that we desire that, that, uh, that they would become as we are. Saved. Do you pray for them as much as you revile them? Do you pray for their souls as much as you curse them? Do you pray for their souls that they would be saved as much as you hate them? Oh, sure, we hate the sin. But all because a Christian doesn't support something doesn't mean they hate the people involved with it. 
Jesus Christ sat with publicans and sinners. He despised their sin, but he loved their souls. Learn to separate. Learn to separate and to learn to see the distinction. You call them wicked sinners, but do you not sin every day, though saved? Do you not sin every day, shaming the Most High God, grieving the Holy Spirit of God by word, thought, and deed? Do you not every day, every single day, all day long? Praise the Lord, salvation's by grace, not works, for who then would make it? Do you not just shame the Most High God and grieve Him and shame Him every day, all day long, with your thoughts, words, and actions? Well, I haven't sinned for 30 years. You just lied. Any man say he's not sin, he's a liar. What makes you think you're better than the unsaved? You're a sinner saved by grace. But as a person, you're no better. As a person, you're still in the flesh corrupted by sin. That, that pulls you into sin and many of these sins you are willing. You willful sin all the time. You know that it's wrong and you do it anyways. What makes you better than them? To hate is murder of the heart. To lust is adultery of the heart. Do you not lie? Even white lies is still lies. All liars shall be cast in the lake of fire. Praise the Lord, it's by grace. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And yet many of us are still like that, even though saved. Praise the Lord, it's by grace. But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. You're not holy and righteous because you go to church, read your Bible, pray, and all the rest of this. Every dog and his brother can act religious. Going to church, it, does, it means nothing. Anyone can read a Bible. Anyone can help the poor. Anybody can be good. Anybody can be loving. That means nothing. Religiosity is nothing. Churchianity is nothing. It's irrelevant. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. That doesn't please God. What pleases God is when he sees the righteousness of his son on you, not your righteousness. By the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God came upon us and cleansed us, saved us, seals us, holds us. Not by any power of our own, John, uh, John 1, 13. Not by our blood, our will, or our power, but of the power of God. It's all of him, none of us. It's all of him, none of us. The washing of the Spirit of God, the cleansing of the Spirit of God, though your sins be as scarlet, they should wash whiter than snow, though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. And this is what the focus should be. That regardless of how evil and wicked and dark and demonic that the individual in the White House or Parliament are, it doesn't matter. But God caused Apostle Paul to preach the gospel to Nero. Think of that. God was not willing that Nero should perish. Mad man, debaucherous, evil, murderous, wicked, satanic Nero. 
who burned Christians alive and threw Christians in the Colosseum and tortured and persecuted and oppressed and slaughtered the saints for his own enjoyment. He would, he would dip them in tar and set them as the lanterns of his walkway to his circus. And God, God was willing to save him. And you have the audacity to take it upon yourself to curse and revile the rulers above you and show them no grace, no mercy, no Christ-like love. Think about it, folks. Be careful who you speak against. Be careful, because if God is not willing that they should perish, if God so loved them too, who are you to send them to hell? Who are you to wish upon them destruction? Who are you to take up arms in hand or word or deed against them? Who do you think you are? You're not the vengeance of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay, not you. We are no better. We are sinners saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace. We ought to obey God rather than men. We're here to preach the gospel, not our constitutions. We're here not for our rights, but Christ's. We're not here to speak our words, but His. We're not here to do our deeds, but His. We're not here for our fame, but His. We're not here to lift up and boast ourselves, but Him. Remember this. We're not justified because we're deserving. We're not justified because we did anything. We're not justified because I'm some special select chosen elect. I'm justified by his grace. The grace of God. The grace of God. The sheer unmerited, undeserving favor of God. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Remember this. It's not about us. It's all about him. Remember this. That when, that when the those out in the world slander and curse and hate and mock and scoff. And, and when they damn us and persecute us and oppress us and kill us and all the rest of it. The Lord says pray for their souls. The Lord says to... Praise Christ anyways. The Lord says, speak evil of no men. Speak evil of no men. Render not evil for evil. Bless them. Curse them not. Pray for them. Despise them not. Bless them. Pray for them. Love them. Turn the other cheek. Show them the mercy of Christ that Christ showed you. Show them the forgiveness of God. As God forgived you. To be Christ-like. You see, many a Christian focuses on that Jesus did flip the tables. And that he did make a whip and all that. So they use that as the excuse for them to turn their own malice upon other people that are their opponents. And they completely miss the point of grace and mercy that tempered Christ. They focus on that John the Baptist did call out and rebuke 
harshly the Pharisee Sadducees, not understanding the reason why was for them to to snap out of it and see their sins so they'd repent and believe. And rather, they just used it as an excuse and val validation to go and curse out the opposition. Be careful of letting your flesh interpret the word of God. That being that being justified by His grace. Grace, folks, grace is the chief cornerstone of the entirety of the Christian faith. Without grace, we're damned to hell. Without grace, we're no different than any single other belief system in the entire world. There's no difference between us and them if there is no grace. The grace of God, which is unmerited favor, undeserved, as we didn't deserve it, neither do they it's the same gospel unto all same way of salvation for everyone but saul of tarsus was shown the same grace mercy and forgiveness as you were that when god looked upon saul of tarsus and he looked upon you he saw no difference just a child of hell enemy of god servants of satan and he saved you just as he saved him. Same grace, same mercy, same power, same blood, same name, same spirit, same cross, same resurrection. Remember that next time you see a child of hell. Next time you see a son of Belial, you see a daughter of Moloch. Next time you see one of the enemies of God, you look at them the way that the Lord looks at them. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, they're on the way to hell. Yes, they, they deserve the wrath of God, but so did I. I'm going to show them grace. I'm going to show them grace. I'm going to show them the love of God. Joy to the world is what the angels sang. Joy to the world. Not just joy to you. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Why? So that they would see the difference. They would see the difference and want to come and know about Jesus Christ. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions. Stupid talking and stupid hypothetical situations. Those kind of things. That's what that means. That's what that means. Avoid foolish questions and genealogies. Like, like as John the Baptist called them, say not because we're of Abraham that we're children of God. God is able of these stones to raise up children. Your genealogy and two bucks will get you a coffee at Tim Hortons. That's about how valuable your genealogy or lineage is. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. Yeah, well, I don't do this. I don't do this. I maintain this. I don't partake in that. Oh, yay. Good, good for you. Big whoop. That means nothing. It means nothing. For they are unprofitable and vain. Empty. Pointless. Useless. Worthless. Your attempts to be good is, is appeasing nobody because you have no goodness. It's the goodness of Christ, not your goodness. The only reason you're doing good is because the Spirit of God is guiding you, not because you know better. I don't know any better. 
I don't know any better. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's right and wrong. It's the Spirit of God that shows me, that teaches me, helps me to understand what is right, what is wrong. He teaches me the difference between the holy and the profane, not I. My education's worthless. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Profits nothing. Our debatings and, and theorizings and all of this stuff. What it says is what it means. Just be like a child of in faith and just what it says is what it means. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. When the Lord says, go show them the love of Christ, just go show them the love of Christ. You don't look in the horse's mouth to see if it's worthy. It doesn't matter who or what they are. You look at them the way that Christ did. He sat with the paupers and the rich. He sat he sat with the with the supposed righteous and the debaucherous. He showed everyone the same the same grace, same mercy, same love, same gospel. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. And yes, I know that some men, that, that for some it's just impossible. That it doesn't matter what you say, what you do, how nice you are, how graceful you are to them, that they're just a child of the devil in return. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's why the Lord says, as much as lies within you. Because the Lord knows that with some people it's impossible. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. You try to show them, you try to help them multiple times, and if they refuse to listen, mark and avoid. Walk away. Don't stay and fight. Don't don't take up the martyrdom complex and think you have to stay there and take it constantly and be and be uh, the, the one that they walk over and push around and beat down all the time. You feel that you have to... No, walk away. Brush off the dust of your feet. The Lord will deal with them. But you're not the judgment of God. You're not the vengeance of God. You're not the reprover of God. You're not the convictor of God. You're just the mouthpiece. You're just there to tell them, to warn them, to say, Thus saith the Lord, and if they refuse to listen, walk away. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Not stay there and curse them out and constantly go on and on and on and harp on and, and beat that dead horse again and again and again and again, constantly going on at them. Just leave them alone. Let them go. Let them go. Let the blind lead the blind. They'll both fall in the ditch. The Lord will look after them. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. He condemns himself. You're not the condemner. They're already condemned because they believe not in the Son of God. But all because that they are the enemy of God, condemned of God right now, doesn't mean that they, they won't have their Damascus Road experience. The most evil, the most wicked, the most satanic, the most debaucherous, the most godless individual that's in the world can have a Damascus Road experience. But yet breathing out blasphemies and curses and hate and reviling and sin and debauchery out of their mouth, suddenly the Son of God could appear unto them and they could fall flat on their face and call him Lord and be changed in an instant. Remember that. Next time you want to speak evil of someone, remember that. Next time someone is opposing you, remember that. 
They might curse you right here, right now, but the next tick of the clock, they could be on their face before the Lord getting saved. Remember that. Who are we? We ought to be God rather than men. We're disciples of the Most High God. We are sinners saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace, not works. Saved by grace, not righteous works. Saved by grace, not of yourselves. Saved by grace, it's not a reward, it's a gift. Saved by grace, not by works of the law. Saved by grace, not by anything that we have. Saved by the blood of Christ, not our blood. Saved by the will of God, not our will. Saved not by our power, but of God's power. The more we think on this, the more we, we revel in this. The grace of Jesus Christ. The more we start seeing others through the lens of grace. The more we truly understand the regeneration of grace. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Don't dredge up that old behavior. Put the flesh down. Crucify the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Submit the flesh and put it down. Die to self. Take up the cross and follow him. Follow him. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they, that they be not unfruitful. Look at this talking about all these others, these others disciples, these servants of the Lord, these other born-again Christians. So they're faithful to the Lord and serving the Lord and helping one another, bearing one another's burdens, regardless of their differences. There's one. Could any of you in the comments, or any, any of you listening into this message, can any of you think of any to any two Christians who are in perfect agreement on literally everything and agree on everything the same. Because hmm? I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the Artemis Tychicus Zenus uh, and Apollos and Paul and John and Timothy and Peter and James and Matthew and Mark and Luke had many, 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 many differences. But they all learned to work together to the glory of God. They all learned to put their differences aside and preach the gospel. They all learned that Whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. They all learned that God is able to use people I don't agree with. That if we do have a difference, to learn to handle it in grace.
in grace. That it doesn't matter what the other says or does. They belong to the Lord. Who are you? Who do you think you are to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And that we all are servants of the Most High God. Remember that. Just as we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're servants of the Most High God, our master, our king, our Lord, our God. He's the one that calls the shots. And, and if I'm born again, saved by grace through faith in the same gospel as you are, our differences are irrelevant. Whether language or skin color or nationality, location, hobbies, interests, work life, home life, private life, whatever. We're saved by the same gospel and we're servants of the Most High God, children of the Most High God. And we're supposed to look at each other as the way that the Lord sees each other. All because you may have differences, that's irrelevant. It's the same blood. We all have the same same blood. We all come from Adam. We're all we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That also in Christ is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free. Your your stature, your money, your your uh, popularity, your fame, your fortune, your degrees, your diplomas, all of that is irrelevant. We came from dust, and to dust we go. God saves the soul. Look beyond the differences. Like the song, look beyond the fault and see the need. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for each other. For one of the things that God hates, that is abomination to God, are those that sow discord amongst the brethren. Be careful who you speak against. Be careful. Show grace. Some need to be rebuked, but rebuked for what? reason rebuke just to rebuke them or rebuke them so that they may see their error and get themselves right with the lord know why you're speaking be careful of your words choose your words carefully speak in grace and mercy and righteousness of jesus christ let ours also ours the disciples let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. What necessary uses? The preaching of the gospel. The demonstration of grace. Showing all Christ's likeness so that they would want to come and ask you about the hope within you. To open up doors of utterance for encouraging of the saints, building the church, and bringing the lost to Christ. These are the necessary uses. Necessary uses. That they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute you. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. End of Titus. Any comments, questions, issues, insights? anything at all please by all means go ahead ask away be glad to hear from you if you appreciate these studies please give us a like give us a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos we have tons of other goodies and content as well as our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have links to all our other platforms and goodies there as well and we have free downloadable gospel track pdfs and e-tracks make sure you avail yourself to that as well and uh, get busy about the Lord and show them the grace of Christ. Show them the good news. Show them the joy to, that has come to this world. 
our Lord Jesus Christ, who is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth. So preach unto them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are saved by grace, through faith, by belief, alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So with that, we'll wrap it up there. I hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. I hope this is giving you something to think about. And uh, yeah, so there you go. So that's the wrap-up of Titus. Awful lot to learn in there. So please make sure you go back, go through it again, take down the notes. And if you got any questions or anything like that, please don't free, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to us. We'd be glad to hear from you. And with that, God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.